God forgives me, I'm sure you will. Good morning again. Uh, I don't see any visitors at this service. It's good to see everybody. Uh, my title of my sermon, as you'll note from your insert, that it's Jonah the Fugitive. And my text is the book of Jonah, chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. I've taken the NIV as my translation. And you'll find in the insert itself the text, the title, and of course the sermon outline for your easy reference. Turn with me or focus with me on Psalm 1914 as I seek God's anointing on these my words. So dear Lord, this morning let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. You know, this morning we're focusing on what may be the single most ridiculed book in the entire Bible. Scholars of the highest degree make fun of the story of Jonah. See, they put the story of Jonah and the fish on the same level as Goldilocks and the three bears. And it is a reason given by more than a few. Why? They don't believe the Bible as a whole. Now, I will agree that if there is a story in the Bible that shows that truth sometimes is stranger than fiction, this story fits that category. When a man catches a fish, that's not really big news. But when a fish catches a man, that is big news. And even, even though it sounds hard to believe, I believe it. My default position is I believe it because it's in the Bible and I believe the Bible. I have two primary reasons why I believe it, and both of them relate to Jesus Christ. The first reason I believe the story of Jonah is because I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Think about it. If you have no trouble believing that Jesus was bodily raised from the dead three days after he died then why would you have trouble believing that a man could survive in the belly of a fish for three days and be spit out on dry land? The other reason I believe the story is because Jesus believed it. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 40 to 41, he stated, For as Jonah was in three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. See, one of the reasons that people get hung up on Jonah is because they really don't understand what the book is about. The book is not primarily about Jonah, nor is it primarily about the fish. The fish is only mentioned four times. Jonah is only mentioned 18 times. The book is really about God. He's mentioned 38 times. And more specifically, the book is about God, His will, and us. See, the reason why Jonah is in the Bible is because he was a fugitive on the run from God and His will. One of my favorite movies is The Fugitive. It's one of those movies that I could see two or three times a year. But there is one difference between that fugitive and Jonah. Harrison Ford was on the run for something he did not do. Jonah is on the run for something he wouldn't do. Now, I can remember a time in my life when I was a fugitive. 
For five years, I basically ran from God. It was December 1975. I had just completed law school. God had called me to the ministry, and I knew it. Now I was 30 years old, and a far cry from when I, as an 18-year-old, stood on the steps of St. Benedict's as a divinity student, embarking on the path that would lead to my ordination in the Roman Catholic priesthood. And now after five years of college, four years in the Air Force, and three years of law school, I set out on a godless venture of wine, women, and song with money and drugs in between. Now there are people in this room who are, who are on the run, spiritually, emotionally, or financially. You are a fugitive on the run from God. We always run for the same reason because there are only, basically only two reasons why we run from God. We're either afraid or we are arrogant. We're either afraid of God's will or we are so arrogant that we think we know better what we ought to be doing than God does. And let me go ahead and give you the punchline of this story. You can run from God, but you cannot get away from God. Adam and Eve learned that lesson the hard way in the Garden of Eden. Jonah is about to learn that lesson the hard way on a ship. What we are going to learn is a lesson that I want to burn into your hearts this morning. If you are thinking about running or you are running, the lesson is this. Obedience always brings blessings. Disobedience always brings burdens. How do we become fugitives? What causes us to run from God? What causes us to go east when God wants us to go west? It's the same process for everyone, and you're going to find it here in the book of Jonah. And there are four steps to becoming a fugitive. First, understand that God demands. Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 states, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So the story starts out simple enough. God's word comes to Jonah. God's word simply is God's will because God's word is God's will and that is what the Bible is all about. From the first chapter of Genesis to the last chapter of the Revelation, God is telling us what his will is for each of us. You will notice that God's word comes in the form of a command because God's will is always both a command and a demand. I want you to try something. Go throughout the entire Bible and see if you can ever find God asking anybody to do anything. He never does. God never makes a request. God never offers a suggestion. Every time God speaks, he is commanding or demanding. If you remember your English grammar, early on in school we learned that verbs have three moods. A mood is simply the manner in which a verb expresses an action or a state of being. We learned that there are three moods in English. There is the indicative mood, the subjunctive mood, and the imperative mood. The indicative mood makes a statement. For example, John gave me a birthday present. That's the indicative mood. The subjective mood expresses a wish or a doubt and is usually 
expressed with the word if. If I were you, I would always give me a birthday gift. That's in the subjunctive mood. The imperative mood is used to express a command or a demand. It is found only in the present tense. You will remember my birthday and give me a gift. That is the imperative mood. Now God is neither in a good mood or a bad mood. He is just always in the imperative mood. God's word is God's will, and God's will is both a command and a demand. God does not give us options. For example, God doesn't say, do not marry unbelievers. Or he asks what he does say. I think I misstated it. God does say, do not marry unbelievers. He doesn't say, but if you're going to marry one, at least marry a nice one. Or if you're going to marry one, at least marry one that will go to church occasionally. No, he says, don't marry an unbeliever. And the truth is, we all live under God's word. God has a will for every one of us. And one of the reasons why we sometimes refuse or resist his will is because, frankly, it's not always easy. Look at what God told Jonah to do. Jonah 1, verse 2. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. The Assyrians were the mortal enemies of Israel. What God was asking Jonah to do would be like asking a Jew back in 1942 to go to Germany and to tell Hitler that God loved him and had a wonderful plan for his life. You know, there are times that God asks us to do things that we don't want to do. In this case, God was asking Jonah to go to the rebellious pagan nation and preach to them and get them saved and forgiven. Tell them that if they would repent, they could receive the mercy of God. Jonah doesn't want his enemies to get that. And just like many times, many of us in this room We don't want to tell our terrible neighbors or our backstabbing working associates that they need a relationship of love with Jesus. You see, in different and various ways, we run from God and stay silent. Nevertheless, at this point, there is no harm and no foul. Second, I'd like to consider that we decide. Fox News famously says, We report, you decide. God says, I demand, you decide. In other words, every day of our lives, the number one responsibility that we will always have in our relationship with God is this. Will we decide to do his will or not? God demands, but he does not force us to obey his demands. Frankly, I think we would all be better off if he did. But God loves us so much that he gives us the freedom to make our own choices, to make our own decisions. When you decide to say yes, then you and God are on great terms. You may face difficulties on the outside, but you will have great peace on the inside. The trouble starts when you decide to say no. But the next three words in our text says it all. Verse 3, But Jonah ran. 
It is one thing to resist God's will. It's another thing to refuse it. For five years, I resisted his will. But I never really got to the point where I challenged God and said, do whatever you want. I'm not doing it. It was just a stage in my life when I was saying, if I can possibly do anything else, I want to do that. But Jonah went further. Verse 3 states, But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Let's give Jonah a D for determination. He was determined not just to run from God, but to get as far away from God as he could. Nineveh was 500 miles northeast of Jonah, and Tarshish was 2,500 miles southwest of Jonah. This is important. There are only two major cities mentioned in the book of Jonah, Nineveh and Tarshish. Nineveh represents God's will, and Tarshish represents your will. Nineveh represents what God wants you to do, and Tarshish represents what you want to do. Every day of your life, you visit one of those two cities. And I want to warn you of something. Every time you choose Tarshish over Nineveh, it's going to cost you. Listen to the rest of verse 3. And he went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Don't miss that little phrase, after paying the fare. Jonah thought he had solved all of his problems just by buying a ticket on a boat. It was just the beginning of what it was going to cost him because he was about to learn the hard way that the most expensive thing you can do is buy a ticket to get away from God. If you're thinking about running from God and you're thinking about going south when God says to go north, you're going to be amazed at how often you will find a ship or how easily you'll find a way to escape. Do you know why? The devil will open doors when you want to say no, just like God will open doors when he wants you to say yes. As you're going to see, for a while you think you are actually getting away with it. You really believe you've become the first person in history to successfully run away from God. Well, Jonah teaches us that when you are in the valley of decision, you will walk right into the pit of disaster if you say no to God instead of yes to God. When you make the wrong decision and you take the wrong path, you will hit the dead end of disaster every time. Just remember the prodigal son. He thought when he walked out of that house with all that money stuffed in his pockets, he was heading out to a life in the fast lane, and life was going to be one big party. But when the party was over, he walked right into the pig pen. Oh yes, the devil will provide the ship. But as you're going to see... God provides the storm. Now we see the third step to becoming a fugitive, and that is, third, we disobey. I want you to go back to verse 3 for just a moment and look at two phrases. Here's the first one. But Jonah ran away from the Lord. The second one is, he went aboard to flee from the Lord. It's clear that Jonah was not interested 
in going on a sightseeing trip to Tarshish. He wasn't interested in going on an ocean cruise. He only had one goal in mind. He wanted to run away from God. He wanted to flee from God, and not just the presence of God, but the purpose of God. Understand, God is patient with us, and as long as we are in the valley of decision, God understands why we would be afraid to do His will. God even takes mercy on us when we are so arrogant that we think we know better for us than He does. And the problem comes when either the fear or the pride leads to disobedience, and that is when the trouble starts. I want you to remember this about disobedience. Whenever you decide in any area of your life, big or small, to run from God, whenever you decide to go east when God says west, you are about to take a trip that is always longer, costlier, and harder. I have preached before that disobedience will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. In those years that I ran from God, He never let me go. I spent a lot of wasted time looking down dead-end streets, spending nights tossing and turning when I could have slept in perfect peace in the will of God. So now I want you to notice the fourth step in the life of a fugitive. Because even though it is a hard step, it illustrates how much God loves us even when we're on the run. So four, consider that God disciplines Verses 4 and 5. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. You have to feel sorry for these sailors. They didn't ask for this. They weren't the problem. Remember, this was a cargo ship. These sailors were delivering the cargo to Tarshish, and that's how they made their money to feed their families. And there's a great lesson here for us. Runners always hurt those who are close to them or around them. Family and friends will be hurt by the shrapnel of your life when you're running from God. And these sailors have tried everything else to save the ship, and all hands are on deck except one, and they notice Jonah is missing. And so the story continues. Verses 5 and 6 states, But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice on us and we will not perish. No. Jonah and God are not exactly on speaking terms right now. So then verses 8 through 11 continues. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? At this point, Jonah could have just looked up to heaven and said, okay, you win. 
I will go to Nineveh. I will obey your word. I will do your will. Do you know what would have happened? The sea would have calmed. The storm would have stopped. The sun would have smiled and everybody would have lived happily ever after. But notice Jonah's response to them. Verse 12. Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. This is amazing. This is where some of you are right now. He was so stubborn and so determined to disobey that he basically said, I would rather die than to do your will. Verse 15 tells us that Jonah was cast overboard and the raging sea grew calm. But then verses 16 and 17 continue. Because the men realized that they had tossed him overboard. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. You know, in chapter 2, Jonah found the same thing in the fish that he found in the boat. That is, that God had been waiting for him the entire time. Chapter 2, verse 1 states, From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. Jonah finally surrendered. And then chapter 2, verse 10 states, And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah unto dry land. The way to Nineveh was by dry land. You know, when you run from God, he doesn't chase you. He waits for you. He does everything he can to entice you back to him. So are you headed in the wrong direction? Have you gotten on the wrong ship? Is there any area in your life where you're saying no to God when you ought to be saying yes? If you are, there is a loving God waiting on you. And he wants to bring you full circle back to himself. That's why Jesus came 2,000 years ago to let every fugitive know that there is a way home and he is the way to get there. Amen? Service is over, but not our worship. You know, we worship 24-7. I commission you to worship the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. For there is only one true God. Amen. Amen.